we love to have this thought of creativity as never-ending and all-encompassing and it can always grow with you but you know you're it's it's draining you have health to consider you have all these i work far too much often in relation to the projects <laughs> that i'm actually out outputting but yeah you know that that is something that you have to use in order to inform what you can and can't do because i think that also applies to how you relate to the world it's if you want yeah. to leave a mark on the world, it's not going to be by doing something absolutely massive. It very well could be, but it's also the thought of saying, well, what am I actually capable of and how can I live up to those capabilities? And that's what people are going to remember me for and love me for and, and how I'm going to connect with others. That, my good friends, was the voice of Rohan Merrill. He is such a creative person. I'm very, very inspired by this guy. He is running his own YouTube channel. He's a musician amongst many, many things. And I look up to this guy so much. And that's why I'm so excited to share this episode with you. My name is Kalle Flodin, and you're listening to My True North. This is a podcast where I sit down with a fascinating individual who has been brave enough to go after what they truly want out of life. Before we roll the episode, I just want to quickly say that if you like this podcast, if you want to support it going forward, I've left a link to my Patreon down below. This podcast is always going to be free, but if you want to support it so I can actually keep making it, that would be highly appreciated. But without further ado, let's roll the episode. Then I say hi and welcome to Ro or Rohan. What do you prefer? Oh, any of them. Uh, you can call me Bob. <laughs> Bob. Yeah, that works too, I guess. <laughs> For the people listening to this, do you mind introducing yourself a bit? Absolutely. Well, my name is Ro and uh, or, or Rohan or any variation. Um, my name is Rohan Merrill and I am a filmmaker and art enthusiast and multimedia artist that is currently figuring out YouTube after having jumped around a lot of different disciplines. And I have a lot of questions. Yeah, <laughs> it's me that's going to ask the questions, first of all, but <laughs> you're more than welcome to ask questions as well. Um, since I, I found you maybe a few months ago on, um, on YouTube, when oh, did you start cool. that journey? Because you said you did other things before that. Yeah. And YouTube is quite new, you would say. Well, so far I've been on YouTube for, I think it's coming up on seven months, uh, about six and a half mm -hmm. or so at this point. And I had dipped my toes into YouTube in the past with sort of trying to emulate uh, filmmaking channels that I really enjoyed. But yeah. that was very short lived. And it was just the process of kind of learning and all the things that I imagine the growing pains that we all go through trying to emulate the people that we really care about. But um, recently, this has been a slightly more focused endeavor. And it's been a chance to just express myself in various artistic forms. And that's been really nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought about that actually before the, we started the call. Would you call yourself like more of an artist or more a storyteller or a musician? Where are, where are you headed? Well, where, where are you based? I, I think that's been um, a, a question for me to figure out as well. I guess that's why I say I have so many questions. Ultimately, it's, it's been a, um, a bit of ex experience of realizing all throughout my life, I've been moving around most of my life. I've been usually put inside environments where I had to learn a new skill or figure mm -hmm. out a new way to connect with people. Usually that was, you know, if you move to a new school, you're going at, 
and learning the new sports that everybody's interested in or in getting involved in theater or in drama or, or whatever variation of artistic endeavor or physical endeavor that people really like. And that has led me in many different directions and I like them all. So as a result, filmmaking seems like the one way that I could net together all the different eclectic hobbies that I otherwise couldn't properly explore because you can film anything you can make a video about anything so that's been my story so far but that's a convoluted way of saying i don't know i'm highly yeah <laughs> we have no idea none of us i think like i've i've stumbled upon what i think i'm supposed to do i don't know 14 times the last year mm -hmm. um like oh this is the kind of videos i want to make and i do that for two three weeks and they're like no wait I can do these kind of videos. So totally. Like that. The, <laughs> totally. So just experimenting all the time. And I think uh, I think people think that you have more under control than you actually have. But it's I'm continuously just experimenting and trying new things. Yeah. Um, I know that YouTube actually rewards you if you keep a specific style in very harsh niche. And that Absolutely. they reward you in a very good way. But that's so boring to me. I want to yeah. do, you know, expand and try new things. Play music on my channel. Just be, yeah, try new things. I think that's... Yeah healthier for the mind as well oh totally and that's the that presents so many questions in my eyes that um i've been currently working through especially as just reliably i've become more and more invested inside my channel and what began out as an experiment and purely was a set of experiments now has consistent people watching and people that i've grown to connect with and people who are getting as invested inside the work as i am but that also comes with more expectations and with more questions regarding what is it that you're going to create for others as opposed to create for yourself and within this space that we see youtube as such a readily open platform but at the same time it has its own culture and its own expectations you can't show Absolutely. up and, and say i'm going to make the next christopher nolan blockbuster on youtube you know it's, <laughs> it's just the the different sort of thought process you have to have but that's where i've also really looked up to your work and seen the nice variety that you have within also knowing that YouTube, within its own limitations, usually you have to tell stories about yourself, right? You have to tell stories about yeah. uh, things that are very personally connected to you, even if it's a different subject materials through your lens. So that already has a bit of a spin. And that's been a fa really fascinating middle ground to ride. Yeah, I can imagine. But what did you do before YouTube? Like, if we say income-wise and stuff, stuff. Yeah, so before YouTube, I had a smattering of things. I first started working as a freelance filmmaker a bit in university a bit beforehand i was doing it throughout high school and uh, doing random gigs it was all mostly for the sake of learning and it wasn't really lucrative uh, but at the same time it formed a lot of the basis for what i really jumped into which was i worked with a company called road microphones they make audio gear mm. for filmmakers yeah. and uh, yeah. I worked with them for a couple like of years ones? and yeah exactly I'm, <laughs> I'm recording on one right now um, yeah <laughs> and uh, I worked with them for a couple of years and that was over in Sydney Australia and that got me a chance to connect with a lot of other filmmakers and wonderful projects and all this other eclectic smattering of things that moved me into what I currently focus on, which is working as a colorist, the last step inside the filmmaking mm -hmm. process that um, is focused on mastering an image. And that has been a highly technical field to jump into, which is a 
the exact place that I want to be because it's very right brain, left brain. And you have to be yeah. on one hand thinking very much like a coder. And then on the other hand, thinking about, well, does it look nice? <laughs> Do I like this? <laughs> you know, is yeah. it beautiful? <laughs> Am I creating beauty? That's a nice set of questions to have. Yeah. I, I, I actually think that most people don't even know that we're adding a lot of colors in mm -hmm. post-production. I think most people just, uh, if you're a, a normal non-creative person that's just watching YouTube, um, yeah. I think you're just assuming that's the colors that comes with the camera. Totally. But you know, it's... Totally. Yeah, that's... And I would guess the same thing if I wasn't in the field. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's just so much work with just coloring the stuff. And I, yeah. uh, I know this is like maybe... Uh, we have this saying in Sweden that it's like cur this maybe like cursing in church when I'm talking to you about coloring. But <laughs> the last two videos, I've actually went back to getting the, instead of having the normal uh, PP8 setting on my yeah. uh, camera, going S-Log3, like very, mm -hmm. uh, for, for non-nerdy people, that's a very flat surface that you can add, add a lot of color to. I actually yeah. went back and had no pro pro profile picture just to try it out how it, that felt. And it was yeah. so nice to not ha have to care about color for once and just focus on <laughs> the story. Uh, and it Absolutely. was also nicer on my computer because it, it, it my computer is like seven years old and trying to add 4K footage, <laughs> raw, uh, unprocessed. It just, yeah, it wasn't possible yeah. anymore. So. Absolutely. Oh, we've, we've gotten to this fascinating point with technology where on one hand, the f current form that my job takes wouldn't have existed many years ago. And that's a crazy sort of thing to consider, uh, as well as, yeah. you know, many social media jobs in general and, and anything that's tied with technology. But it's also followed that consistent pattern of we want more and more and more options. We want so many high levels of quality, but then we realize, well, that's more and more choices you have to make. And that's more and more <laughs> yeah, exactly. layers in front of your story and everything. I, I definitely understand. Um, it has been really curious to be someone who's focused on a comparatively small part of the filmmaking process where ultimately mm -hmm. the best work that I do is creating wrapping paper. I wrap up the story and, and I say, this is a very nice gift and look at the nice colors in it, you know? But then you, you have to actually look at the story and say, do you enjoy it? Yeah. Is it? Is it good? That's been a nice set yeah. of considerations. So, hey, picture profile yeah. off always. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to have like, it's nice to have options, but as you said, like options can almost blind you in that way. The same thing yeah. if you go on, say, Netflix and then like, oh, I have 5,000 videos to choose from. And then you get almost handicapped and like, yeah. I don't know what to pick. Definitely. Uh, and that kills the creativity in that way. Yeah. But do you think yeah. it's important to, with those details for you, I would say, on your YouTube channel, like adding color and stuff? You know, I, I think that the thing that I've run into with my YouTube channel that's been incredibly fulfilling, but also makes me wonder at the ultimate direction of the work that I'm doing is that everything inside my videos has to be created by me. So nothing can be a preset, nothing can be um, used from an external website. Uh, every once in a while, I use a couple of sound effects or um, basic mm -hmm. sort of ambience tracks and stuff. Uh, but all the music, all the graphics, all the color and all that has to be put together by me. And mm. that is a lot of work. And that starts to stack up very, very quickly because everything down to creating your own fonts and stuff like that is, is very uh, involved even with a simple video. However, you know, the trade-off and the good side of that is that everything becomes uniquely you, right? If you have to make that choice yeah. on a very basic level, then everything ends up having a slightly more united vision in relation to mm. what you want to express. And since I set out 
with the pure intention of saying, I'm going to write a letter to a hypothetical friend. Um, in many mm -hmm. cases, they're directly people in my life that I want to talk to. And mm, okay. I want to share with them something that's very real for me, but is the artistic side of me. And what's really amazing about that is that you can share a part of you that's not readily apparent in every life. I, I, I can't um, show up, you know, to somebody's door and start talking the same way that I talk in videos <laughs> or else they'll, you know, just think yeah. I'm full of myself or, you know, really uh, confusing. But uh, inside the videos, it fits and it makes sense just because everything else has come from that same place of wanting to mm -hmm. connect and communicate with somebody. And that's been really nice. So I guess the the non-convoluted answer would be that I love the options within my work, but they do come with a lot of weight to them. <laughs> yeah. And it's also like you're, as a creator, I think it's quite common to stack up expectations. The more videos you do, you need more creative songwriting maybe and different yeah. storytelling ideas. And But what people generally want is just you. And yeah. I noticed that when I did my videos, the more I added in like more of me, like all my fuck ups and bloopers mm -hmm. and everything, they're like, oh, we, we love that thing. I was yeah. like, oh, really? It shouldn't <laughs> yeah. be perfect. Uh, so I actually have a video coming out uh, this Sunday and for you listening, it's already out, but I have a portion of the video where I'm playing guitar and I have one, so um, two different sections actually. One, uh, one recording where I nailed the whole um, thing way through I haven't played guitar in a long time. I just have it on the shelves for some reason. And my fingers just started almost to bleed uh, because it was I was so delicate on my fingers. Yeah. But I have one recording session with the guitar in front of the camera that is like perfect. I nailed the whole thing, the, my, my own song. And then I have another section that I do a bit of a fuck up like in the middle. It's not that much, but it loses the rhythm a bit. And it's just, you can see on me like, oh shit, okay, back totally. to it. But it's I was real. Like, yeah, exactly. Maybe I should actually use the fuck up version a bit uh, and add that instead of the perfect one yeah. even though it's interrupt the videos flow a bit because i'm gonna have b-roll and stuff on top of the actual um playing and then just jump in to shots of me uh, playing but i just I like when i recorded that it was like oh no I, I did a mistake because i'm such a perfectionist um, Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's really hard to work with me you can just ask my girlfriend it's not easy <laughs> because i wanted so perfect um i have a very clear image in my head which can actually interrupt the workflow because it takes too long time to say a sentence or yeah absolutely whatever it may be but but i mean that's our condition as artists right that's our yeah. uh, balancing point we always have to be living inside this state of tension of by default if we're creatives we're really good at visualizing what we want to create because we know that we have to be able to picture abstract things that don't exist in the world because that's how we make them. The more we get focused on that abstract thing, the more we start to build up this thought of what if it doesn't end up being that thing? What if I, <laughs> yeah. I've you know built up this entire image of this world that doesn't exist within the one that I currently live? So I'm always going to be slightly at odds with it. And yeah. I, I, really, I really like the moment where Every once in a while with these videos, I've gone into the edit after thinking that I played music terribly within the live takes or <laughs> that I've said everything in a really halting or confusing manner. And then every once in a while, it's true and it doesn't you know, yeah. work out. But then, you know, nine out of 10 times, it's not nearly as bad as I remember, especially if I give it a day or two with just breaks of not thinking about it. That's been yeah. such a huge deal. And I imagine that's, you know, 
it's just figuring out how to maintain that balancing act that we constantly run all across so yeah but do you work with others as well you have your own channel i know that but you where you do your music coloring and everything but do you work with others people as well collaborate yeah with so um at the moment the the youtube channel has it just started out as a personal endeavor and it mm -hmm. was entirely focused on saying i had been working with big companies and it was all about commercials of fast cars shiny things all the you know <laughs> uh very much an outwardly production focused sort of mentality and coming to this valley and coming originally to help my sister Paola to get the sort of technology upgraded for her channel because she was mm. shooting you know she was massively successful but she was shooting everything on an iPhone still and was having a lot of technical <laughs> difficulties yeah. and you know and it's amazing because you know she's she's aesthetically focused and she's an artist so she was making that iPhone look incredible but yeah. uh, I came over here for the sake of helping her and for the sake of making sure that she could slowly learn this new equipment. I just made copies mm -hmm. of all the things that I use. And so I showed okay. her on the same buttons that I was pushing and everything like that. So that was the initial intention. I was working with her for a while on her channel. Now she's up and running mm -hmm. and she can create things on her own. And so cool. then I started to focus more on my color business. And so right now mm -hmm. I have a little office space inside the town where when I'm not doing uh, YouTube stuff, I have been doing freelance color and starting to build up hopefully what is more a consistent color business there. However, YouTube has taken a lot more time than I initially imagined. <laughs> so the skew yeah, of work, does. oh yeah, the skew of work has um, gone back and forth, but generally it's fallen on the side of YouTube and the focus on the channel. So at the moment it's color, YouTube, and every once in a while helping my sister. Yeah, cool. But I think it's absolutely amazing. I found out quite late that she was using her iphone and then when i noticed that i was like are you kidding me it's <laughs> so cool doing all that with an iphone uh, yeah. of course iphones are good but if you don't have the eye as an artist or a creator you mm -hmm. can't make it work it doesn't matter how good of a camera is if you don't angle it the way it should be done it doesn't look good but she Absolutely. really has an eye for it so that's Absolutely. really amazing oh and i think that she's the perfect example of what I try to tell, you know, I, I found myself as a colorist, usually you're teaching people because one, they ask like, what, what is color? And you have to start from, you know, <laughs> explaining your job in general. Yeah. Um, but you're in this sort of teaching mentality. And so I find myself usually teaching other filmmakers about odds and ends. And the first thing that I've always been tied into is just saying, well, it's just about starting with the most basic version of what you have, right? The, that's a bit of a cliche mm -hmm. of the whole thing that gear doesn't matter. But what I think that isn't necessarily talked about is that it's about avoiding expectations of yourself. It's about avoiding mm. triggering that perfectionist side because the more you sit down and you say, well, I want to make a film, but now I'm going to look up precisely 1,248 tutorials <laughs> that all tell me about why you have to be this certain type of filmmaker. And if you don't do this specific camera movement, you're not going to make money and you're going to be a failure. You know, that, yeah. that sort of stuff really gets inside your mind and keeps you from actually taking the first steps that develop that aesthetic and mm. actually make you a good filmmaker. So yeah. I think Paola is the perfect example of saying she just had a vision for what she wanted to do. She wasn't invested inside the technical side. So although things would slip by and although she was, you know, figuring out the IT side, she didn't have those expectations. She didn't have that mm. sort of thing holding her back that said, hey, you're not valid in being here because you don't have an <laughs> A7S Mark III. <laughs> and, you know, that that sort of stuff is incredible to witness, especially as YouTube has just become the center point of 
really riding the middle ground where you have incredibly talented creators, but you don't have、mm. this industry knowledge that can sometimes hold you back more than it can help you. Yeah, absolutely. I saw a video. It was maybe a year ago by Peter McKinnon. He did a video called "I'm just or just a YouTuber." I think it's called. Yeah.、Uh, and then his show is like what goes into or what could go into being a YouTuber, like a whole、absolutely. media production company with lighting,、uh, hiring colorists,、uh, audio engineering.、Um, that could be a YouTuber.、Um, yeah. But it can also be a person with just an iPhone. That's telling、it. a story. That's the whole deal. Yeah, that's、right? what I love about it. Yeah. yeah, that's that's why this is such a vibrant place.、Uh, I think that's also why it has a bit of a difficulty at times where you know we as creators, there's a bit of an identity crisis with that because it's the same way as saying, "I am an engineer." Well, it, you know, you can be an engineer of, of anything. You can, you can. It's such、yeah. a vast field that you know. Right now, when you're saying, "I make things on YouTube." You might be、mm-hmm. a fitness coach who has never picked up a camera, but knows that they have to share their knowledge with the world.、Mm-hmm. Or you have somebody who I came from the film industry, and I'm now trying to figure out how to,、um, you know, adapt that to the YouTube space. And then you have people like Peter McKinnon that rode the middle ground of saying, "Well, I'm an adept filmmaker. I've been doing this, but I'm very social media focused. That is, you know, the、yeah. place that I'm going to live and grow." So you have everything in between, but you also have this realization of saying, "Well, you and I were on different parts of the world. We have totally different experiences, but we're tied together by this shared platform and this ability to connect." And that's such a nice thing to focus in on. Yeah, it really is. And just to clarify for people listening, your sister—it's also not just Paula, but the Cottage Fairy. Yes, people are understanding who and what she is. <laughs> Definitely,、um, that's worth mentioning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. For just clarifications,、yeah. um, but I want to go back to the valley you were talking about. Like, how、mm-hmm. was it to move there? Because that's quite different from where you were living before, I guess. Absolutely.、Um, I came directly from Sydney, Australia, and although I had lived, so right now I'm in Washington State, the Metau Valley. It's a bit of an isolated、mm-hmm. spot.、Um, Winthrop has, I think, about 510 residents, and I'm outside the、uh, city limits here, but it's still rather isolated. And this whole area, I had seen it. I had lived here for a short time, but then I went off to the city and stayed in Sydney for a while. And Being over there, everything that could have been different was different, right? It's a city, <laughs> a ton of different people around. It's congestion, but also it's endless opportunities. I am very focused on Irish music. I play a lot of Celtic music,、mm-hmm. and so within the session space, there's a bit of a musical anomaly within Irish culture, where you have these sessions that you can go to from around different cities all around the world, and you just Show up, and everybody knows the same tunes that have been handed down from generation to generation. Oh wow! And、cool. so you know, you just show up and you adapt. And I play a smattering of different instruments, but what I focused on was、uh, backing those tunes, so that I could always show up and add、mm. a lot of depth to it. That was such a great way to get to know that city. Yeah, I、and、can、so、imagine. It was, you know, hopping around from group to group and forming these sort of friendships that you just you could never find anywhere else. And that definitely. Added a whole other dynamic to my life. I, it was also my first time working a nine-to-five job, and I'd never kind of had that sort of sense of structure before. And <laughs> on one hand, it was an incredible experience to explore, but on the other hand, it was just as important in order to realize how contrary to sort of my artistic work that is. And、mm. 
that was a huge sort of, I, I guess, concentrated set of learnings within that city, all within a couple of years. And I guess coming over here, it feels like I have the chance to apply a lot of those learnings, but mm -hmm. also there's, it's, it's got its own set of struggles and its own set of problems to solve, but its own set of opportunities. But I think it's almost healthy to actually go into a nine to five job, even though that doesn't feel like you just go in and realize that, no, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. I Absolutely. felt the same thing. I've, I've done a lot of nine to five jobs, but always gone back to the self-employment and running my own business because it's like, I don't like having a boss. Like yeah. it's weird, but like just when people ask me why I run my own company, because it is a lot of stress of finding clients or earning enough money and totally. making work. Uh, it's way more safer to have a, an employment and just know what salary is coming each month. Yeah. But just, just the ability to say no, that's why I have my company. Just it's a Tuesday afternoon or lunch or whatever. And it's like, no, I want to take a walk right now. Uh, and then it. I do that. And being able to do that is absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's the absolutely. best freedom for me, I would say. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's where I have a lot to learn from you as well, because it's it's been a very new experience this was my first year doing taxes for a small business and yeah. you know, in, in the us this that's been a whole experience to learn i i really I wish i would have oh I, I wish i would have learned a lot more about it um i don't know how your experience has been with um just the sort of the learning curve of admin for something like that and you know all the extra responsibilities because in addition with mm. the saying of no you also have the opportunity to say yes to a ton of things and also the obligation to say yes to many things yeah. that usually would be either facilitated by somebody else or or sorted out but that seems to have been a consistent line throughout my own experience of saying well a lot of these things are, are worth learning in general. It's worth learning taxes. It's worth learning all of these uh, um, various parts of the business that I otherwise would have been rather ignorant about. But also it's it's going to make for, you know, especially beginning this, a few difficult years of adjustment. And yeah. <laughs> I imagine a consistent growing process. I, I have so many um, questions regarding how how this will feel in the future but at the moment it, it seems like it's just a constant process of reinvention right yeah because what we do as creators is quite new uh when mm -hmm. i started my company in 2011 already um i just started it because i wanted to learn how that work uh, i didn't mm -hmm. like i haven't uh, i was studying at the time so i did that first and then i took a nine to five job so I didn't like actually earn any money on my company, but I got to yeah. learn like, okay, how do you send an invoice? How do you do this? How do you do taxes? Uh, totally. And after some years, I realized that, okay, I, I understand the basics, uh, but I think it's so tremendously boring to do. And I'm also afraid of screwing it up. Some yeah. like screwing up some numbers and then the IRS comes five years later, like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, you did the wrong, uh, wrong thing here, and then you have to correct it somehow. Yeah. So after a few years, I actually got, got uh, what do you call that in English? Uh, accountant? Is that mm -hmm. the word? Yeah. Um, so I just take all my papers, and then I email them to her, and then I say, you're welcome. Fix <laughs> 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 this for me. Work your uh, magic. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not that expensive at all, for me at least. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a couple of hundred dollars uh, for the whole year's process and that's just totally i think it's important to understand the basics of it so you'd know how to run your company if she would disappear yeah um but just like realizing um 
for me that I don't have to do everything myself. I can understand it, but then just outsource it to someone that can actually take care of it. Absolutely. Uh, it's also stress thing for me to, or a stress reliever, I would say, to actually just have someone that is educated and have a company in this and just sets her stamp of approval of like, yeah, everything is fine. It looks good. Now you can send it in. Absolutely. Just have that stamp of approval. Let's me sleep. Let me sleep way better at night, I can tell you. Absolutely. Oh, and, and I think yeah. that there's so much to be said for also being able to have that trust and and know that yeah. you know for those things that you can't sort out there are people that are just incredibly good at what they do that's what drove mm -hmm. me towards color you know it mm -hmm. the sort of i guess the other side of what we do is that we're in a very interdisciplinary space by default if you're a content creator you have to be involved in so many different things it also means that you have a sort of ceiling in place where the better you get at one thing, the more of an expert you become, uh, the more other things can start to fall through the cracks. And it makes me value experts that have dedicated themselves to saying, I do this thing so, so well, um, because that is that is a such an incredible mentality. And that's what drove me towards color, because I wanted to be able to do one thing really, really well, because then you can offer comfort to other people by saying, hey, by my existence, I am the person that's going to take care of you now. I can help you. Yeah, this is what I'm suited for. I think there's so much power to that. But there's also power to accepting it, right? I, I would love to sit down and say, I know everything I can do it all. <laughs> but you know, that's just yeah. not the way it is. But keeping it exciting is like, by learning new things, that's that is keeping it exciting. Because mm -hmm. if you would sit with all the information, just the matrix download it to your head, it wouldn't be that exciting anymore. Absolutely. That's the same thing with you new kind of videos on YouTube. It's like, oh, that's a fun way of doing it, and I can try that, and that keeps it interesting. If I made the exact same video every week on YouTube, I would get bored. Uh, and that's Absolutely. why I have also the podcast and the newsletter and other things to just outsource my creativity to other. Um, things and platforms because I, my mind mind is kind of overworking all the time I feel like and I need places to put it in basically totally totally you and me both I, I wonder yeah <laughs> I wonder just how much of a correlation there might be between very sort of scattered creative minds and social media because it seems like the ultimate place that you you drop us into there and you say you're a creator now go wild and we definitely will go wild we we have so many different <laughs> things that we want to focus on and constantly learn yeah. that it, it definitely seems like it's a tailor-made place for us but i also wonder in in relation to that whole thought of if the accountant were to dis disappear tomorrow and i would have to learn all those skills and be very very confident in them that applies to so many different things youtube could disappear tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. The entire place with where you rely on for your following and, you know, naturally so many people would follow you anywhere, but also it would be building from kind of the ground up. I have wondered the more and more I start to explore this place, even though I'm, you know, just a child in, in the whole grand scheme of things and, <laughs> and figuring this out one step at a time. But, you know, if that all were to disappear, what are the major skills that you fall back onto? As a storyteller, you have to be able to just sit down and say, well, I rely on somebody to make this camera. I rely on somebody to make the microphone. I rely on electricity itself. There's so many different things that we're standing upon in order to, you know, practice our crafts. But then you have to be able to sit down and say, once upon a time and <laughs> gather somebody's attention. And that very basic building block is what fascinates me the most. It's it's the only way that I can achieve any sense of focus. It's through that 
thought of, well, what are my priorities as a storyteller? What is the thing that nobody could take away from me? And what is the thing that's most important? And I think that's a great way to think about many things in my own life in general. What is the thing that I have to build up that won't change just on the whim of somebody else? Um, that's been an incredible way to just explore this space. But for you, how do you build a good story? Do you have that's... a recipe for it? Well, to be honest, I think that that's that's something that storytellers will constantly, you know, question. And any time that you think that you've had a perfect formula for building a story, even though there's so many ones out there of of the thought of the hero's journey and and everything that you learn in school, yeah. once a formula exists or or once any sort of guidance exists, it also becomes the storyteller's job to challenge that guidance and to say. This is this is a new way of doing something. This is a new way that I tell a story. Currently on on YouTube, I think that there's a way to tell a story that is far more effective than would be on Netflix or would be on HBO, any any sort of other streaming service because really what you're doing in telling a story is sharing a slice of culture and a slice of yourself. And any place that you're working on any sort of environment where you have to place that video or story that has its own culture and you have to see how your little slice of culture combines with it. I guess that's a convoluted way of saying that really what you're doing is just sharing a little slice of yourself and the closest you get to sharing a slice of yourself as an artist, the more a piece of art it is, right? Um, the yeah. farther away from yourself it gets, the less a piece of art it is. And that's why we start to label things as analytical when they feel less emotional and, and less uh, connected to somebody, you know, but in relation to stories itself, I think that what's been really nice is that I follow a format on my channel for writing letters. And so I've given myself a space where I begin with dear friend, and I always end with, I hope you are well, my friend. And that gives me a couple of brackets with which to say, now we're in a different world. Don't accept my words as somebody who's sitting there and talking to you, accept my words as somebody who's writing a letter. And that allows me to write more poetically, more flowery, but also it pushes you into a bit of a land of make-believe. Because, you know, when's the last time that you read a physical letter and felt like it was just another part of your daily sort of uh, work? It always has something that feels a little bit magical since we don't send them anymore. And yeah, so true. if you have this sort of playground with which to explore or the sandbox, I guess, you can form any number of stories within that sort of space and they will feel inherently a little bit more magical in my eyes or a little bit more um, intentional, I guess. And and that would really come down to the choice I made in starting this channel was to tell intentional stories. And I believe the more intentional you get with them, the more you'll start to actually make people care. I, I've seen a number of shows at this point on, on Netflix or on any streaming service that really what it comes down to is they seem to be lacking intentionality. It seems like mm -hmm. people didn't sit down and say, I'm really here to tell a story. They have any number of other concerns, which are all valid with, you know, making a certain amount of money, you know, satisfying a studio head or something like that. Mm -hmm. But the intention to tell a good story isn't necessarily there. Um, and that can sometimes feel a little bit uh, lackadaisical, I guess. Mm. But you, your channel name is Letters from Row. How did you come up with the name and that concept of like actually writing a digital letter, I guess? You know, for me, I've been writing letters in some form all my life because I think that 
you know, letters, you're ultimately telling a story. You're stuck within a medium. Absolutely. And you are saying, I'm going to put this in an envelope and send it to somebody and they are going to have an experience once they open it up in the same way that they open up a book. However, I've been moving around all my life. This is the first time that I've had the chance to choose where I move. My family was in the military and we were always mm. sent, you know, to some random place around the world or in the US um, every couple of years or every year. And, you know, that created some incredible experiences, some weird <laughs> ones. I technically went yeah. to eight, eight different high schools. Um, oh, and wow. okay. that yeah, was, um, you know, and it's all because I started doing this sort of half and half of going to some online schools and going to some physical mm. schools. But, you know, we would go from the U.S. to Italy to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to <laughs> a ton of different um, uh, spots <laughs> that were totally new and you'd adapt to. However, the friends that you leave behind... I didn't want to lose mm. track of. So I got really used to writing letters. And that's okay. the only reason that I got involved in social media in the first place. It was to start messaging people and stay in touch. I found myself being terrible at texting where I just can't quite deal with short text. I always write things that are incredibly long, but that takes a lot of time and usually makes it an unwieldy way of communicating. <laughs> However, you know, I have really fallen in love with the thought of keeping letters alive in some shape or form. On on the channel itself, I wanted to begin also with the intention of saying, if I am writing a letter to you, there's an accepted level of connection that I'm trying to explore. This is not just a video that I'm putting out and then washing my hands of it and walking away. I want to be able to have that back and forth and that um, chance for people mm -hmm. to share things. So the amount of art that I've received in return and the sort of connections and, and friendships that I've been able to start through the channel is what really has made it all worth it. And I did start with that intention. So I guess that's that's the whole spiel about the channel name. Yeah, cool. Yeah, because I think that's also fun with YouTube or different interactive platforms like that. Like like you said, you starting to get in the beginning, like people, you can recognize their accounts are coming back, making comments every time, they're liking the videos are there. And you start to build this little family around your channel that is very niche and very personal and you. Uh, yeah. And that is a very specific, very special feeling. Um, and it's a weird new feeling for a lot of people mm -hmm. to know a person but not actually never met them or know them off camera. Because I would say I'm... My goal for my videos was always that if I met someone in real life, they would couldn't tell a difference from my videos to my person if they met me at a cafe or something. I just wanted it to be the same kind of version. Um, of course, there is like some polishment to like uh, the video I'm putting out now on Sunday. Like it's, I put so much work in this, into the cinematic touch of it. Oh, uh, I can't wait. And yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's going to look like one coherent day, but it's actually filmed during four days because I had to totally. wait for the perfect sunlight to hit the trees. Oh, and, I know. Yeah, it's <laughs> what a, whole a thing. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think that that is, of course, a bit romanticized, like when it mm -hmm. can look... Um, yeah, I don't always sit and just drink my tea on the porch and it's a sunny weather. Like today, it's been pouring down rain. I had to walk the dogs for two hours and just like was drenched. Uh, totally. And that's also, uh, also a story to tell, I guess. But I think for me, it has been important to be an, as much of an authentic version of myself as I could be. Yeah. Um, because I, I don't meet that much, pe that much people around here. Uh, yeah. We went to a cafe today, me and uh, my girlfriend, Christina. Mm -hmm. And the, not the owner, but the, one of the 
girls working in the cash register serving food, she recognized us. And that's a weird feeling because we just record stuff and then we put it out into the world. Absolutely. We don't live in a city and don't interact with people really. And when yeah. people like, hey, Kalle, it's like, do I know you? No, I don't. Okay, you know me, but I, I don't know you. Totally. That's a weird feeling. Totally. Oh, I, that's... um. I remember the first time that Paola ran into somebody who knew her work and oh, it was, okay. we were, we were out filming. It's not that far from this house, actually up by a lake that's in the mountains and it's, we're the only people there and we were in the water. <laughs> I was messing around with a um, covering for my camera that allows me to treat it like a submarine and, and take it underwater. Mm. And I was super excited, but we get out of the water and there's a random person hiking through the area and just says, I love your videos. And it was the first <laughs> time where she had had that sort of connection of, of somebody coming up in real life in the meeting of those two worlds. And I wonder what what was the first time that that happened to you and how did it feel? Because Paola, it was such a different feeling. Yeah. Oh, wow. The first time. Hmm. I think it might. The first one that come to mind, at least, um, was when I was in a the hardware store. When I was repairing something, I just went in. I was like, I just go into town. Uh, I'll put on my sweatpants and a broken T-shirt, basically. I went yeah. into to the store, stood in the hardware store. Um, um, what a cash register line mm -hmm. and then the couple b before me they were like turned around suspiciously amount like looking at me i was like do i know these guys i don't think so and this was like just when my channel started to take off so i Absolutely. haven't experienced that before and then then they just turned around like hi sorry we and they were not even from sweden they were from australia i think it was actually they were yeah. like hi we just came here we're road tripping through sweden and we just uh, finished listening to your recent podcast i was like Really? And, and it was so weird. Like, first of all, to meet one, someone from Australia in our little small town of Soleftio. Yeah. Um, and then they'd listen to the podcast and watch my videos. Uh, and I got super excited because it was so fun to actually interact with someone um, yeah. and just see people. Because I see like a profile picture and a name, but that's yeah. it. Um, I don't get more than that. So that Absolutely. was a weird thing, but also very... Um, yeah, of course, very it's like ego boosting as well, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, but when someone likes your work, but I'm happy we live out here because I don't like the idea of people can just, you know, drop by or people know your apartment or Absolutely. can wait outside and stuff. Um, oh, that could be so unwieldy so quickly, I imagine. That, that would be yeah, so tough. Exactly. I've been yeah. very intentional of never mentioning our address or where we live um, yeah. ever, <laughs> just to Definitely. be very... Um, some people have figured it out and drop by either way, but that's yeah. uh, that's just life. But we they can't just drop by here. It's yeah. it takes a while to get out here, so you have to yeah. work a bit to uh, to get out here. Oh, I, I can imagine yeah. that. Uh, well, we've also been very intentional. Pa Paula was, uh, you know, very vocal about saying, you know, this is this is a new space that uh, you know I'm coming into. I don't have that sort of. Uh, awareness necessarily of the massive nature of these numbers right you, you just aren't quite conditioned as a person to wrap your mind around just how many people are somehow connecting with what you make um, when they become yeah. real then suddenly you're having this sort of epiphany moment of wow this is <laughs> this isn't numbers right but at the yeah. same time that adds another level of you know intensity to somebody knowing your address to somebody mm -hmm. knowing all that stuff because you know even though 
I imagine the percentage is so, so very low of people who would, you know, be malicious or anything like that. Once yeah. you're dealing with those numbers, it doesn't matter if it's a low percentage. It's a lot of people that they could be it's really still, difficult yeah. to deal with. If you put up her or if you place her, what is it, 900,000 subscribers in your yard, yeah. there's going to be some <laughs> oh my God. weird people in that mix. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's even hard yeah. to just picture looking out right now because... I have a little stone maze over here and to think of people trying to crowd in <laughs> over there that <laughs> sheer amount of people is is mind-boggling yeah that would be weird oh definitely uh, but i want i want to take the conversation a bit back from the beginning because i'm yeah we can talk about creativity and everything for hours i feel like but yeah i want to know where your creativity started what was the first outlet of a something that was creative i guess what was yeah. that? How did it take form? Well, initially, I was always interested in some form of storytelling. I think that my entire story so far, at the ripe old age of 23 years old, um, <laughs> I, um, my whole story so far has been a culmination of jumping from one way of wrapping up a story into another. And so it was just saying, we tell stories in so many different ways that my earliest memories are of my abuelo, uh, my grandfather on my mother's side, um, singing to me and singing mm. some songs that just stuck with me. I didn't know the words that he was saying, but I did know that they ultimately added up to just saying, I love you and I care mm, about you okay. and I'm here with you. And that is one of the most beautiful things that I imagine a story could tell. That's why I write lullabies right now. I find them even more beautiful than many love songs because they don't have the expectation of love. They have the expectation of mm -hmm. just being there and telling you a short yeah, story. Yeah, just giving. Yeah. And I really love that. But it also guided me towards the sort of stories that I became interested in, the stories that were handed down from generation to generation. I love mythology and I love folklore. And that is purely because it's things that have been kept alive purely because people love them and because people wanted to share them with each other. We have so many incredible traditions of people saying, this is going to die if you don't take care of it, as with anything. And so with a story, you get to share it with somebody in person and it will stay alive. You're giving life to something. But before all of that, before all of that fascination on a more intellectual level with storytelling, I just played make-believe a lot. I, As a young okay. kid, I was, <laughs> um, I had a dog named Midas who essentially raised me. And I'd go out into the forest. I was homeschooled at the time. And I would just pretend that he was a king and that I was his subject. And I'd try to read his <laughs> mind and know what he wanted. And when the lands yeah. were attacked, we'd have to make a treehouse and defend it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that was very much uh, my early childhood consisted of doing that. And most of my interests were developed as a chance to spend time with my sisters. My sister, one of them was interested in singing, so I got interested in singing. And then the other one was interested in writing, so I got more interested in narrative. And then I started to play make-believe with them. We used to make our own versions of Star Wars. And I think that oh, I'm nice. probably <laughs> one of the last filmmakers of my age that was shooting on tape-based cameras for a long time. Um, mm, and it okay, was just well. because we were fascinated and wanted to find a way to tell stories. I then switched into yeah. Lego stop motion for a long time because yeah. I was obsessed <laughs> with Legos. Cool. And I think that every filmmaker has a story of some sort of animation, but that was interest uh, interesting for me. And from there, it's just been 
hopping and skipping. I'm not sure if that's very good as an answer. Do you think that is? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is. But I'm also curious, when was the first, because you said it's a lot of things in your head, imagination and yeah. make-believe with your sisters and yourself. But when was the first time you put out work without it being family? That's a good question. When was it? I was, I admit I was always rather performative as a kid. So whenever we moved from place to place, I'd usually get involved in the plays or get involved inside mm -hmm. music or something like that. I think that the first time I ever did something creative for somebody other than my family was when I was learning guitar and having my first guitar performance. Mm -hmm. I started guitar when I think I was six or seven and it was as you know, a, a, it was a focus on classical music. And the focus was on playing the fastest, having the most frills and thrills, and then getting to the end, having a bow, and then being, I'm better than you. But that was the, uh, <laughs> yeah. that was the feeling of, of the culture at the time. And my first sort of performance, I was so, so nervous that I just, I could barely get through anything and I still remember just being nervous I don't remember what I played <laughs> I don't remember how it went I just remember it being very very scary but yeah uh, it took yeah. yeah I was just gonna say like I know that scary feeling I started uh, playing guitar as well when I was I know I dibble dabbled with it when I was like a kid maybe around six or seven I just took my um, guitar's nylon uh, my yeah. dad's uh, nylon guitar and just started playing on one string basically but when we went to, I don't know what you call it, is that high school maybe? Uh, we call it gymnasiet in Swedish. It's basically yeah. when you're between the age of 16 to 19. Um, so I went to music school and you had to be on stage and perform. Uh, yeah. That was like a requirement. Um, and I also kept playing the guitar because I could be a bit in the background. But then they <laughs> added on the new requirement, which was you also have to sing. And I was like, okay, fun. <laughs> That's uh, a lot. So I had to conquer that. Yeah, that was so much. Um, not only the coordination for a you know teenage dude that almost couldn't put his put his feet on the ground. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was terrifying. I remember the first time I had to be on stage. There was several of my friends there as well. But we were playing the Police. Um, oh, what is the song? Their most famous one, um, Roxanne. Oh, so um, good. And I had to be the backing vocals saying, you know, the very high-pitched um, mm -hmm. yeah, Roxanne um, mimic. Yeah. And I remember I just like, I stood as far, far away from the microphone as I humanly possibly could. <laughs> uh, so they could pick up something, but not really. I didn't dare yeah. to like be very close because that was too nerve-wracking. Um, totally. I can really gr regret it today that I didn't went in, into it more. Um, we had a... That's one of my actually big re biggest regrets in life. When we were, let's see, I, 18 or 19, our last year at music school was putting together a um, uh, musical. Uh, so we yeah. did that for a whole year, basically. And we put together Rent, and you were supposed to audition and put go on stage in front of all the teachers, and you had to sing, play something, and dance in some way. And yeah. that was... I was so 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 terrifying to me especially the dance and the like um, written poetry I had to do something like that just so they could yeah. see how you would be on stage which makes sense absolutely but I didn't dare to do it I just didn't show up to the audition and I applied for the guitarist in the orchestra pit basically um, mm -hmm. so I played the guitar through the whole uh, musical which I loved but I still regret it to this day that I didn't go to the audition and actually got a part which I actually wanted 
but I was too afraid of what um, everyone would think and I would just fail. Um, yeah, I can understand that. One of I the biggest definitely... regrets, I would say. Uh, hey, let's let's put together our own version of rent. We'll do it on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> easily. Oh Some no, I, material somewhere. I can totally understand that. I mean, the first time that I ever did, what, what when was the first time? So the first time was in sophomore year, my second year of high school. Um, I got involved in a musical, and it was Beauty and the Beast. And oh, okay. I, it was my first time having to audition with other people around i had mm. only ever kind of gotten involved in a very job interview feeling experience where it's just you and somebody and you try to describe why you're qualified yeah. for something um and this was the first time being next to people that you were kind of competing against and that yeah. terrified me on so many <laughs> levels because i you know i knew that these are the same people that you have to be interacting with in the actual musical you're all just going to get different yeah. parts and for some reason, I built up such a fear of that, that I was almost paralyzed when I first joined. And just seeing how much nobody really cared was probably yeah. <laughs> an, an, one of the most important artistic experiences that I'd ever had, where we have this notion of competition when we're dealing with something that is inherently immeasurable. We, we can't actually put a number on art, even though social media adds a, a fascinating dichotomy where suddenly you're actually trying to tie a number to it but we ultimately can't you know mm -hmm. and in an audition process that was where all my fear was it was the thought of ranking the thought of hierarchy that's also why i avoided mm -hmm. social media for so many years i didn't interact at all totally get it. it yeah and that sort of thought process of saying you know i'm either better or worse or i have some sort of thing to gain or lose was so ridiculous to the point where you would just end up doing nothing and then then you would have you know some sort of regret or some sort of uh you know uh, uh trouble tied to something that you never did but at the same time that's present inside any sort of you know uh experience you have you have done so many different things with this youtube channel that so many people i imagine would regret not doing right and and regrets not exploring yeah. And it's all because of letting go of that point of comparison and realizing that this is so much bigger than saying I win something or I lose something or I gain it. I also think that one like idea that popped into my head when we were talking about this is that when you realize, because a lot of the times you think about like, okay, what are people going to think? And what is she going to think? And he going to think? And my dad, sister, these random people. But when you realize that they are totally occupied thinking of themselves, like yeah. what, like they have no time thinking about, about me and what I'm performing. Yeah. Um, so when you can realize that and feeling like, okay, don't, they're not thinking of me. They're thinking of themselves, how I think of them and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just like letting go of that feeling of comments or interactions or whatever it may be, just putting your art out there that you think is fun to do and yeah. don't care what other people say, because if you're going to listen to other people's opinion, of course you can take some input and get some inspiration. That's one thing. But if you're going to shape your art whatever it may be into what people want to see then it's not even your art anymore then it's someone else's that you're just performing for them yeah absolutely absolutely and at that point you're it's it's becoming more of a you, you now have a function and you're becoming less and less of an artist and more and more of a, a tool that per, does a specific mm -hmm. um, job. And, you know, that that might work very, very well if if you went in with the intention of saying, I do one thing really, really well and I focus on that. That's 
absolutely awesome but it's such a different feeling right it's it's such a different yeah. set of expectations i i do wonder about kind of tying it into what i'm exploring right now i'm in the middle ground of saying one part of my life is as somebody who's highly tailored and is highly focused on a specific thing and then the other part of my life is releasing all the things that i can't do within that highly focused space i i started yeah. this youtube channel because i'd spent two years of making things for clients with very particular visions that couldn't necessarily be called art and so you know you always have to have that outlet but i also wonder at at that sort of balancing act because i think that there is something to be said for you know, knowing what what people need and what they should receive um, in combination with, you know, talking about authenticity as well. It's knowing that you have to be yourself, but you also have to be the parts of yourself that are useful to other people. You know, yeah. I, I, I can't. <laughs> that's a tricky I can't, balance. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the, the thing that is curious within this whole genre that we explore, where we're making slower videos. We're making things that hopefully are within a, a more sort of thoughtful space. But people don't see behind the camera. People don't see all this sort of other life that, that uh, is consistently evolving. And as much as we try, everything is in front of the camera, right? And, and everything is with that knowledge of saying, hey, I have to be able to share the things that one, make sense for a business, right? And at the same time, also make sense for you because mm -hmm. there's something very beautiful to saying, I want to give the best of myself to you just as I would to any friend as any relationship or anything like that but you know you're, you're still trying to strike a bit of a balance and that really really fascinates me especially in regard to just what we what we allow ourselves the permission to do and that's really nice yeah I find it really hard with the balance of like trying because as you said we do a bit of slower content when it comes to YouTube yeah but I also find it really hard because uh, YouTube is really rewarding a higher pace uh, because yeah. people have such a short attention pan span these days thanks yeah. to TikTok and Instagram uh, yep. we can't even read a book these days almost without like okay what should I do at the same time uh, and that's a tricky thing because funny enough I don't watch that much slow living TV uh, yeah. YouTube thing on YouTube actually because Me I neither. live it uh, <laughs> I watched it before I moved here but now I watched uh, like more filmmakers or document documentaries or um, um, other lifestyles that I don't have. Um, yeah. So I get very influenced by their their kind of editing, which is way way faster uh, oh, yes. compared to our niche, so to speak. Like, yeah, the ten first seconds need to be super impactful. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to have a drone shot that is twenty seconds in the the whole intro. Yeah. Um, and that's a very fine balance of like, how should I? Yeah, balance this basically because if I give in, give in to the faster pace of editing, uh, I'm gonna attract an audience that appeals to that. But yeah. if I'm slowing down in the pace I want to do it, I'm gonna attract that kind of people. Absolutely, and and I I think that there's so much to be said for just seeing that as the culture or a part of the culture that deserves a bit of counterculture, right? Any sort of yeah, absolutely point, you know that we have as a like oh this is how you're going to achieve stability or reliability <laughs> as as a content creator it also means that you're going to get less and less variety as a viewer and i think mm. that people are Absolutely. craving this sort of um not not uh, as fast content but also just this space that hasn't been served as much this space mm. that doesn't have as many people uh filling it and i think that 
well, take the last video that I uploaded was it began, I think, with a shot that goes almost 30 seconds and it's just staring at a mountain and there's nothing happening. Yeah, I saw that yeah, yeah. today, actually. Yeah. Ah, I, I'm glad. It, it was um, curious because in the middle of that, I was just wondering, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to stare at it because I have that mountain outside my house and I'd stare at yeah, it pretty okay. consistently. It's a bit of a hobby. <laughs> um, and yeah. I think that, you know, I wonder if anybody else would enjoy this. And seeing the response mm -hmm. was really, really nice and made me realize, well, I think that on one hand, I think it's worth talking more about we don't experience this sort of thing the same as the viewers because we're living inside mm -hmm. a, a beautiful place. We get to see it in far more detail than a camera ever could. But sharing mm -hmm. that is so, so important. Sharing that is is incredible. And even though I'm also interested in those same filmmakers, Film Riot and, and <laughs> Corridor Digital and all these different groups yeah. that uh, I look up to, you know, they are people that I ultimately want to work with and, and evolve with as filmmakers, but they are also fulfilling a very different part of YouTube and a very mm -hmm. different um, sensibility. And I think that's worth keeping in mind. Yeah, that's a totally different area of YouTube. Um, but as you well, I had a red red thread I wanted to go into there, but I totally lost it. Um, Sorry, I've, I've been meandering so, so much. Uh, <laughs> no, it's totally, I love it. You, you uh, get a I million, just, uh, it's, it I, I think so many ideas in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I think that we're uh, shooting off in a ton of different directions. Always let me know if I should focus in a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. I, I want these conversations to be open. So that's absolutely fine. Uh, I'll probably find, go back to it. But how do you find the balance, as you said, Okay, now I remember what I was gonna what I was gonna say. Uh, <laughs> I asked my audience on Instagram, like, what kind of video would you like to see next? I have this entire list of maybe eighty ideas I want to do this year easily. So I have I'm not running out of ideas. Yeah. But I just like check in with my audience, like, what do you want to see? And so many wrote like, can you just film daily routines in a cabin? I was like, is that interesting? Like just us doing normal things like cooking yeah. or walking the dogs or. And they were like, yeah, we want to see that. I was like, okay, then we try that. I can easily do that. And, but I want to do it in my more cinematic way because that's how I, how I like to tell a story. Absolutely. Uh, I can easily do more of like a vlog and point and shoot camera, absolutely. But it's, I think it's also fun to interact with the audience, like actually figuring out, you can always ask, but then you can also say no. Like, no, that's not where I want to go. Uh, but it's fascinating. As you said, we are living these lives. So it's, hard for us to actually understand what we should or want to share mm -hmm. um trying yeah. to figure out when i watch peter mckinnon or corridor crew or whoever it's very different content um but it's also fun to interact those kind of influences into your um our simple living ideas because my yeah. first videos on youtube you can see it's i a direct copy of uh, casey neistat like oh, I use the same kind of music, the same kind of storytelling, the same kind of time lapse. Yeah, very jazzy hip hop music, and then like yeah. time lapses over airplanes moving, and yeah, it's very much case and I that. So I took absolutely. Uh, There's a very good book I really, really want to recommend people reading. It's called uh, "Steal Like an Artist" by Austin Kleon, I think. I've heard um, of it. I should read it. Yeah, it's super good one. It's very short and very impactful. And he's like, the idea is that nothing is new anymore. So you can just create your new version out of the stuff that already exists. So I took a portion of uh, Casey Neistat and a bit of uh, Jonah Yinton maybe, and then a bit of uh, your sister and then a bit of, yeah. yeah, just a bunch of other things added my personality and that created 
what you would maybe call a new thing, even though it's based on, you know, <laughs> a ton of other influences. Absolutely. Well, and that the balancing act that you talk about, I think that's where that's our nature as artists, right? That's the point of tension. I think that if you ever weren't trying to figure out that balancing act, you that's when the problems start, right? That's when mm -hmm. you're in a situation that you're realizing, am I, am I becoming less of an artist? Am I not growing as much? Is you know, as much as we would love to have absolute certainty and knowing that something would work that would also make it less and less rewarding in the same way that Absolutely. with a relationship as you're growing with somebody that you love and care about there has to be a, the fact that you can't read that other person's mind is incredible because now you have yeah. to live in this place of you know at times slight tension as you figure each other out and figure out how you can learn and, and love better i really care about that as a point of view on art in general because mm. i don't see I see friendships and relationships as creative projects. I see them as the most important creative projects that we can have. And if you think about them as a balanced artist, you can make the most of them and make them the most beautiful thing that is consistently yeah. growing. But that means that you have to be consistently growing as an artist as well. And mm -hmm. I love that we're presented with these questions as difficult as they can be. Yeah, um, they are, but it's fun also. It's a fun yeah. little challenge because I think, um, it's a word for this. I don't know what it is, but it's basically the idea of we like to be in the middle because if a challenge is too easy, we just give up. It's just, okay, that's not motivating, motivating yeah. enough. And if it's too hard, then it's just too much Daunting. to handle. It's almost like when you're starting a new enormous big film project, you don't know where to start. And that yeah. can almost like get you handicapped and feeling like, oh, I okay, fuck it. I just kind of let it go and don't even start. So yeah. you want to be, at least for me, somewhere in the middle. It's a challenge, not too hard and not too easy. That's yeah. where I perform the absolute best, I think. Well, and, and when I'm talking with other creatives, I always double back on the thought of it's all about starting with the constraints in order to find that middle ground. It's knowing what are the <laughs> actual realistic limits. YouTube has limits. Uh, any sort of place that you're putting things on has limits. The very equipment that you use has limits. Your own mind has limits. Yeah. And <laughs> within within that you know thought process, I think that you start to find the point at which you can challenge yourself just enough, because we love to have this thought of creativity as never ending and all encompassing and it can always grow with you but you know you're it's it's draining you have health to consider you have all these i work far too much often in relation to the projects <laughs> that i'm actually out outputting but yeah you know that that is something that you have to use in order to inform what you can and can't do because i think that also applies to how you relate to the world it's if you want yeah. to leave a mark on the world, it's not going to be by doing something absolutely massive. It very well could be, but it's also the thought of saying, well, what am I actually capable of and how can I live up to those capabilities? And that's what people are going to remember me for and love me for and, and how I'm going to connect with others, not by doing this one huge thing that stays inside somebody's mind for a second and then disappears due to the news cycle or something like yeah. that, right? Yeah, that's very true. I have this standard question that I always ask every guest. Um, the name of the podcast is My True North. Um, Absolutely. And I would like to know what would you call, what would you say is your True North? I, I have been thinking about this. And in fact, I was talking with a friend of mine a few months ago in relation to what has kept me going through what has arguably been a very 
different set of careers and things that are constantly changing, especially being a young man who doesn't necessarily have as many answers as he'd like. For me, the thing that I come back to is the ability to, as cheesy as it sounds, love unconditionally and give unconditionally without expectation, but to protect the ability to love unconditionally and to give mm -hmm. unconditionally. Because my my dream, per se, is twofold. I think that we have dreams that are on the outside. We have our external dreams, the things that we want to achieve. And then we have our internal dreams, the person that we have to be in order to appreciate mm -hmm. the things that we achieve. And for me, I would love to, you know, on the outside, run a bed and breakfast. That's my whole thing i want to okay. set one up and make it uh lord of the rings themed since my name is rohan <laughs> i'm, I'm yeah, very perfect. much focused on that um and i want to make people happy play music for them and hopefully be in a place where people ask lots of questions but if i had all of that right now i would not know what to do with it i burn food far too often i am in a situation where you know the the very understanding of real estate is something that I'm slowly figuring out and am mm. far from understanding. So the internal dream is to have that sense of unconditional love and unconditional giving. And I know that that probably sounds so cheesy, but I think that it's because in many, especially in English, we have a limited definition of love. We have the inability to break it down into many different words and many different feelings and it's just because it's a limitation of language and i think that that's been growing more and more where we understand inherently the, the different parts of that but for me love is also tied with the understanding of loss just as life is tied with death absolutely just as anything it is, goes hand in hand yeah and it's it, if you don't have a sense of unconditionality you could never quite love right you you would always be fearing that sense of loss and fearing that possible change so for me being able to cultivate that and hopefully help others cultivate it just through making myself more loving. That is my true north, I think. Cool. Yeah, that's a really good answer. Um, oh, thank you. It's always always exciting to hear what like you interpret your true north is. I think I would roughly translate it to like life purpose, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. But it is a big question and I think it's mm -hmm interesting to ask you know in different areas of your life as well because if i talk to you in half a year it might have changed completely and if absolutely. you asked that question to me five years ago it would be absolutely different from what it yeah. is now well um, and that's 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 where my excitement also comes uh in relation to being on this podcast and talking to you because i'm at a point where i've just begun this and i'm i'm a small child a, a wee one and uh <laughs> I, I am so curious about your journey, but I'm also curious to just continue checking in and seeing how we're doing in, in a few years and seeing these changes because I mm. find that is the best story to tell. That is the thing yeah, that is absolutely. always the most fascinating because time is going to tell a story regardless. We're always in the middle of one and yeah. we're never aware of it until five years from now, you and I are going to meet up and be really curious about, hey, remember when you said that really dumb <laughs> thing you thought was really <laughs> good or something? Did that be a bed and breakfast idea? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Now you're running like a, a, a pop school for interpretive dance. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it's very, I think I like that open mind of like, it can change constantly. And like, that's what I, what you said, like, checking in here and there and that could be one month in between it can be a yeah. year but just like connecting those dots going forward it's so fun because it's 
the more dots you can like connect with a person, it creates more of a whole picture and you understand that person way more. Um, Absolutely. And the more dots and um, you can be a part of, it's yeah, it creates a richer story um, in its whole, I guess. Yeah. Well, and regardless of how many different skills and disciplines we focus on, the thing that we'll always be an expert on is our lives, right? You can always have that hindsight yeah. and weave together some sort of story, regardless of how connected to reality with bias or anything like that it <laughs> might be. Um, I think that that's incredibly beautiful. That's why I'm interested in telling stories. And that's why I'm here trying to figure this whole YouTube thing out. So people that want to find your YouTube channel and listen to your music, where do well, they go? Um, well, I have a channel called Letters from Row, and my music is on Bandcamp and Spotify and a few different places, uh, and it's called From Row. And the whole idea is that I put them together as, as little gifts to send out, and hopefully you like them. And if you don't, also let me know so that I can improve. <laughs> <laughs> um, but How many yeah, songs it's... have you written to this day? You know that? Well, so the ones that I've released, I've only released a small album of lullabies. But for the videos at this point, I've just written over 190 individual ones. <laughs> That's, That's so been many songs. <laughs> a lot yeah. of individual songs. And it's all been usually in fits of panic, realizing that I have to write something in order to fill in the silence in a video. <laughs> but it's yeah. been, wow. you know, that's been rewarding. Yeah, but pushing yourself in that way, like putting deadlines and requirements on yourself can actually create creativity. Yeah, well, and, and I think that riffing on that, the thing that I'd have to tell any filmmaker at this point, having done this just for a short time, is that, you know, I never had any formal education in film. I never went to film school. In fact, I, I dropped out of university. I was focusing on behavioral economics. And when I got the job oh, wow. from Australia and dropped everything to go and work as a filmmaker, um, we're in this wonderful space where as a filmmaker, you don't have to have a degree. You just show your ability to make a good video. Yeah. And I love that the industry trusts that. But at the same mm -hmm. time, in order to learn, you're presented with so many different places. I'm fascinated with teaching because we have so many different ways to learn. YouTube is the single best sort of educational experience I've had for YouTube, despite the fact that I'm making things entirely as a one-man band and I'm just setting up cameras, usually hiking for miles and miles, and, and by the end, I'm not <laughs> sure what direction's up or down. It's been such a big deal to sit down and have to go through the whole production process each week. That is that yeah. is huge. Yeah, it is. And it's also fascinating that we have this like enormous bank of just information that we can basically type in anything we want on YouTube. It can be a setting on your editing software or a camera setting or a how to tell a story or how to get an audience. Yeah. Everything is there. Uh, it's just a matter of how bad you want it. And yeah. like I got so nerdy into YouTube when I started because I couldn't sleep. I was just like woke up at four in the morning, like went down to the computer, started learning even more. Okay, totally. how can I, I apply that to my channel? Like, how can I do this? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a big YouTube nerd because I spend a lot of my time on YouTube watching other people's. And that's yeah. what makes it fun. It's really my kind of platform. Well, and, and for me, I, I that's the only way that I'd ever interacted with YouTube. I saw it as a source of knowledge. Everything that I was mm -hmm. learning from uh, color was on YouTube. And initially okay. that began with big, you know, channels that were focused on being educational and entertaining. Mm -hmm. But as time goes on, you see that the well of information on the internet starts to 
turn into this situation where we care more about the packaging of information yeah. than we care about the actual information itself because it's all out there. So now we want yeah. it to be in a digestible form and ways that we really enjoy. The more and more I got involved with color, you switch from YouTube videos that are really well shot to a webcam in somebody's basement that just happens to be, you know, maybe yeah. making the film stocks for a really good video. And then eventually you find yourself on forums. And then eventually you just have to be cold calling people and you actually make a human connection where you say, hey, I want to learn things from you. How amazing is it that I could go through that without spending a single cent on education? That is... Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Mind-blowing. Um, that's... Yeah, and when people unlock that potential and understand what is actually out there, because I know there's a lot of creative people listening to this, and there's a lot of people feeling that they're being held back because they don't have the education. Yeah. I don't have a YouTube degree. I don't have a filmmaking degree. I have an audio engineering degree. So that helped me a bit in the editing process, of course, but... yeah. Like you said with your sister, she saw shot with an iPhone for I don't know how how long, and yeah. that worked out quite good, I would say. <laughs> oh, I'd say I'd say she's yeah. doing okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and that's that makes me always feel like each of these creations is is very much an act of optimism. It's it's saying that you have to be so solid in the things that only you can learn, which is the storytelling and the actual will to tell stories. Nobody can yeah. teach you how to get up in the morning and, and be very much, you know, a storyteller or something like that. Yeah. But for everything else, then you're in this situation where you're just, you're spoiled for choice. You were given yeah. so, so much that honestly, I think it can be overwhelming at times, but at the same time, it's all there. It's always there and it's yeah. waiting for you. So people listening, there's no excuses. Just dive in and learn. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I'm, I'm also... Thank yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm also becoming more and more fascinated because at this point I've been putting together a color course and, and uh, color grading materials. Mm, cool. where, so the last three videos that I made were actually just stress tests of things, products that I've been coding together for two years. And I was building a ton of tools that just weren't available for other colorists. And mm. that is has been a really weird place to be where I get to look down at these controls that I've put together and know that they're purely existing there because of some forum on the internet or some sort of yeah. piece of information cool. that I would have never come across. So it, it is amazing how far you can go. Yeah. Are those out there for people to check out or is it just... They aren't out there yet. I'm just working on them and using them okay. in my own videos, but I'm about to launch my own color grading channel where I just do basic stuff that I couldn't find answers to online. Ah, okay, cool. I will yeah. definitely hang out there when well, I don't get too comfortable with the not... not the, not any profile picture and everything. So absolutely, uh, it's all all about uh, messing around with what you're actually interested in, right? Exactly, getting nerdy and just sharing that. That's the best part. Totally. But totally. thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Uh, again, like I said before, we could have continued this conversation for three or four hours easily. Absolutely, <laughs> <think>. absolutely. <laughs> but I had to hit pause at some point because then it's me jumping over to the the editing part of this podcast as well, trying to <laughs> and say, get it what out. Have as you well. done? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Created this monster of a file. But I really enjoyed talking to you, and I know a lot of people is going to get a lot of in, uh, inspiration from this as well. So oh, thank you so thank much you for coming much. on. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I look forward to talking more in the future. And, and wow, I, I love this. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye for now. We'll see you. 
thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. And like I said in the beginning, if you appreciate this podcast and want to see it keep going, I would love your support on Patreon. There's a link down in the description. And if you can't afford that, that's totally fine. But you can help in another way. You can share this episode on uh, Instagram story or, or on Facebook or wherever you're hanging out. Again, thank you for listening and we'll talk soon again. Bye for now.